Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC, the Babysitter's Club podcast where we are revisiting each book in the Babysitter's Club series, book by book, episode by episode, discussing them from our perspective now as... I guess, late-ish, mid-late-30s-ish, I don't know. <laughs> Women in our 30s who grew up reading the books, thinking about them now, thinking about them then, talking about how we feel about them now, regardless of how we felt about them then, because I think there's going to be a lot of thoughts with this one this week. But yeah, so we are talking about uh, Jesse Ramsey, Pet Sitter, this week, which is book 22. Um, Lauren, I don't know if you want to jump right into the back of the book, if you had anything to add before we kick things off on the book itself. I have some thoughts, but let's start with the back of the book and remind everyone what we're actually talking about so they know what our thoughts are about. <laughs> the Mancusis don't have any kids, but they sure do have a lot of pets. So when they're desperate for a pet sitter, whom do they call? The Babysitter's Club. Christy is insulted. The babysitters don't pet sit. But Jessie's always liked animals, and she talks Christy into letting her have the job. With snakes on the loose and sick hamsters, Jessie's got plenty of pet-sitting troubles. And the babysitters aren't making life any easier for her when they get into a big fight. Will Jessie be able to handle her pet-sitting job when things are going wrong with the babysitters, too? Yeah, I'd say that that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, um, yeah it doesn't get into the intricacies of the, the babysitters' club fight, but I think... I think it's pretty spot on. It's not overly dramatic. Yeah, which is a nice change of pace because I'm going to get overly dramatic. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm mostly. I, I'm, no, I'm mostly kidding, but um, I really did not enjoy this one. So um, I'll just I'll start with that. But why don't you actually tell us what does happen and get into what's going on with the BSC? Because I'll be honest, that's where my real issue was. Yeah, that's definitely the, the heart of the issue and the heart of the matter for this conversation, I am certain. Um, OK, so the Jesse specific plot line. Jessie's got a week free from ballet classes and her regular babysitting gig with the Braddocks, and she's super excited at the prospect of a week of freedom, but then immediately jumps at the opportunity for a conveniently timed extreme pet-sitting job for the same week. Christy's not super on board with the tying up of one of, quote-unquote, her sitters, more on that later, but eventually concedes that Jessie can take the job. Jessie spends the week killing it as a pet sitter for approximately 500 animals, possibly more accurately described in the book as, quote, three dogs, five cats, some birds and hamsters, two guinea pigs, a snake, lots of fish, and a bunch of rabbits and turtles, end quote, including allowing for many babysitting drop-bys to entertain charges while on jobs and dealing with a pregnant hamster emergency. Also, this is the book where everyone wants pets, including a rundown by Jesse of everyone's position on pets, like Mallory's rundown on ear piercing in the last book. And the story ends with Jesse, Mallory, and Jackie Rudowski all getting hamsters of their own. So the Babysitter's Club generally in this book. Christy goes off the deep end on ruling the BSC with an iron fist, and all of the non-junior members get into a fight about their respective roles within the BSC. This leads to the declaration of an election of the officers of the club, which Jesse and Mallory get to vote in, although they cannot actually hold office, so I guess they're D.C. or Puerto Rico here. <laughs> <laughs> I had that same thought. Yeah, I was like, mm. 
But yeah, so Jesse and Valerie try to stay out of it, but all is resolved when each of the girls is unanimously voted back into their existing offices in the Babysitter's Club. Christy acknowledges she's been a little over-the-top bossy lately due to Charlie acting like a douche at home and apologizes and promises to try harder to give the other girls a voice. <sighs> oh boy. Well, this book um, came out in March 1989. Um, we're still in Anne M. Martin, but we are getting pretty up there in the ones that she wrote. I believe it was like 34 or 36. I think it's so, 35. But yeah, it's it's we're we're slowly approaching. <laughs> and I kind of felt it this week. This felt a little bit like I'm running out of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I've already shared that I, this was not one of my favorites. What were your overall thoughts on the book? I thought it was fine. I liked Jesse sort of getting to do something different and feeling like she got a break from babysitting. But like the book itself, I I usually read these like in one sitting, power through, not power through, because I actually usually enjoy reading them and I enjoy taking the notes. This one, it I had to break it up. Like I'd get a few chapters and I'd be like, okay, that's enough for now. A few cha- like usually it's like, okay, I, I read the book. I do my notes. I start the recording guide that you and I use when we're talking and planning. And this one, it was like, it's Tuesday. I finished the recording guide yesterday because I was like, I got to get this thing done so we can record tomorrow. Like it, it was fine. The Babysitter's Club fight stuff. I was just like, come on. <laughs> like, I understand, you know, Christy's always bossy, but it's like, it just felt like they needed something for the other girls to do. Like, Jessie had her A plot line with the the pet sitting, which is random and out of left field, but that's fine. But then it was like, hey, let's have all the girls get in a fight where literally nothing happens. So that was my big issue with this one. You're right. The pet sitting was sort of a whatever. Um, I think it would have been a totally inoffensive main plot, Mm -hmm. no matter the book. But the B plot really ruined this for me on a number of levels because – well, admittedly, I am sometimes overly protective of Christy, I guess, because she's I, I am Christy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, I, you know, anytime you get close to a character like that, it can feel um, uncomfortable when they're acting like a total asshole. Yeah, for sure. Um, but in this case, or and in this case, I should say, <laughs> she I, I don't dispute that she's acting like a total asshole. However, A... It comes out of nowhere and it start like even before she was acting ridiculous, like the shades started from the very mm-hmm. beginning. Like Jesse, her her descriptions, and I was I was like, whoa, this feels way more mean spirited than normal. And I, and that that impression did not let up through that entire B plot. I thought the B plot seemed so mean spirited from start to finish. I thought everybody was acting out of character. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was ended up being such a nothing thing. And I think that was the part that was most frustrating for me is that could have been a great plot. It absolutely makes sense that the girls would start to about a year in get, you know, Mm -hmm. get a little bored with their roles and start looking at the other people. Like there, there's some really meaty, juicy stuff there that I feel like kept getting pushed to the side to talk about the stupid pets that I didn't really care about too much. (laughs) Um, And it was basically a character assassination of Christy Without any chance for her to understand where she was coming from at all. Like, if this was a Christie book and we got to see the stuff with Charlie and we got to, 
hear some of her inner monologue and like go through the journey with her of realizing that you know there's a there's a fine line and um between being a leader and being a pest and you know uh, how she can cross that sometimes like i think that there's some really good stuff in mm-hmm. there that just did not get handled with any kind of of the um nuance or care that i feel like these types of plots typically hinge on like we've talked in the past about the group fights and and how they are they model behavior for girls mm-hmm. and, and and boys and non-binaries and whoever's reading it, the books at the time you know but this i don't feel like modeled anything i don't I, like what are we i guess that was um sort of the thing that i came away with it the most is i was annoyed and then what lesson are we really supposed to take from this like normally the main character has some sort of take on what else is happening but Jesse, because like you said, they, she and Mallory have zero agency in this mm-hmm. fight. They have no skin in the game. In fact, they spend the whole time like, I don't want to be a part of this. Right. Uh, like, that's not a narrator that I want to hang out with. Someone who's like, mm, keep me out of the main action. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I was just really, really frustrated with it the whole way through. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that is totally spot on. Like, because we've had we've had other books where there are disagreements among or between the girls and like you said it's usually the character who's narrating that book is the the sort of the driving force of the issue you know in Claudia and the New Girl Claudia was the one narrating but she was also the one who needed to sort of learn a lesson she was the reason that the girls were exactly. all upset you know in um Dawn and the New Girl Mallory or not Mallory Marianne is sort of Obviously, all the girls get in a fight in that one, but like Mallory, God, why do I keep saying Mallory? Marianne, sort of, <laughs> she she's the thing that she needs to learn is like sort of to stand up for herself and like she can make her own friends and all of that. So it makes sense that it's from her perspective. But yeah, from from here, Jesse and Mallory are effectively outsiders because they they don't have office officer positions. They don't really, like you said, have any skin in the game. So it's a little bit like. Christy's the problem here. I mean, if we're going to sort of categorize it that way, like the the narrator, when there's a problem child, should be the problem child because then you get the opportunity to sort of see where they're coming from. And as we've seen throughout this series so far, like the person who's the problem child when it's one of those books doesn't really realize they're the problem child. And over the course of the book, they come to realize, here's how I can improve. Here's how I can, what I can do better, which does that modeling for whoever's reading the book. And Jesse doesn't have any real insight into Christy because she and Christy are not that close regardless. You know, it might be different even if Marianne was narrating this book because at least she has that history with Christy. She knows, she can sort of see what's going on in her head, whereas Jesse might be able to do that for Mallory, but for Christy to be the problem child in this book and Jesse to be the one narrating, we don't get any opportunity because we also know that Christy and Jesse are not going to have any sort of side conversations where they maybe talk about what Christie's issues are. You know, again, if it was a Mallory book, it might make sense. Oh my gosh. I, (laughs) Mallory and Marianne are like the same person (laughs) to me today. If it was a Marianne book and Christie was the problem child, we would likely at least get a conversation between them that would give us a little bit more insight, even if we weren't going to get, you know, the first person perspective from Christie. So yeah, I I wish that we had had this storyline in a different way in a different book where we had a different narrator and we were able to get more of the 
this being the main A line, A plot line, as opposed to the B, because we didn't get enough of an opportunity to really sort of dig into what the issues are and what Christy maybe needs to learn, unfortunately. And I think part, I, well, first of all, I think that the the idea of having Marianne narrate it and get to, you know, dig into some of that stuff, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I was just stuck on, well, this should be Christie's, But yeah, right, there, there were definitely other narrators that could... Um, I don't know, do and nah, do it justice seems like a, a strong phrase, but there are other narrators who could find an interesting way into mm-hmm. the story. I think the only two people who couldn't would be Mallory and Jesse, because right. you brought up a great point. They barely know them. They Jesse moved to town two seconds ago. Um, she's been in the club for all of like two books, right. maybe three, and um, they, she and Christy have had had zero meaningful one-on-one interactions, and it just. It felt like a waste of the plot and in a way that really is a little bit concerning for me because of the fact that we're now, you know, we're only 22 bucks in and this is now what the third or fourth big club fight. Um, And I I understand there are only so many plots available and we're going to see the girls, you know, have fights Mm -hmm. over and over again. But I'm a little worried about we've got another hundred some books to go. Are we going to see the same fight over and over again? I don't know. And I can't tell how much of this is just we're recording this the second week of October in 2020 mm-hmm. and the world is a hellfire disaster zone. And I, I can't decide how much of my negative emotion is stuff that I'm bringing in from outside mm-hmm. that is then, you know, I, I, and you know what, that's 100% true. My temper has been terrible lately. And this annoyed me far more than it would normally. Yeah. And it was especially, I mean, we haven't even got into um, the fact that they resolve this through elections, which I was like, seriously, I, I can't even <laughs> escape <laughs> this hellscape. Yeah. In even in a babysitter's like, club. In the babysitter's <laughs> club. Right. Like I was like, I was really, I picked it up this weekend and I was like, oh, this is finally going to be, I can turn mm-hmm. off, can stop thinking about what's going on in the real world and escape to Stony Brook. And instead, nope. There's fucking election talk. <laughs> Can't I just have this one thing? <laughs> right? But then on top of that, then there's fights over the like how the election is done and mm-hmm. what's considered fair and how to handle it. And I was like, oh, my God. This is just like the universe is conspiring to get me. So uh, like granted, I'm very aware that my level of agitation with this is probably disproportionate. Um, and I just... Uh, my my prevailing thought as I was reading it is I don't want to read 10 more books about girls that I like acting like assholes to each other. So um, I'm really hoping that the next fight we come across is handled with more nuance. And I, because I, I really haven't had that feeling before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought the other ones that you brought up were great and we taught, they, they brought up a lot of good things and it led to some great learning moments and some maturity and modeling behavior. And this just felt like, Everybody was being a brat for no particular reason. Yeah. So let's break down Christie's reasoning. Charlie is being bossy at home, so she has to be bossy with them. And then her big revelation was he's not being bossy because he's gonna about to be big man on campus. He's actually being bossy because he's nervous about not getting into college. And so he's taking it out on her and she's taking it out on the club. And... So I, I definitely understand that, that like taking out frustrations from one person, mm-hmm. you know, misplaced, that makes total sense. And especially 
it's something I'm prone to do. Uh, it's not one of my finer qualities, but it's definitely one in which I relate to Miss Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I cannot find the connecting thread. Like, she's not acting, like, short or mean or, like, short-tempered. She's just being extra controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, my feeling on this is, like, I don't feel like this is in character for Christy. Like, we know that Christy's bossy, but I feel like the way that this book approaches Christy is she's, like you said, she's controlling. And I feel like being controlling is very different than being bossy. And the amount of times that she reiterates, this is my club, I'm allowed to tell you what to do because this is my club, I get to decide how the elections are run because I'm the president. Like, it's... It's. I mean, it's. It's obviously not totally like completely different opposite ends of the spectrum, but like the way that we've seen Christy up until now is like she's just sort of asserting herself, and she she thinks she's not maybe not. I was going to say I, she thinks she's the smartest person in the room. I don't know that that's necessarily fair, but she knows that she has good ideas. She has seen those ideas play out well and make them all successful and make herself successful in her life, and so she doesn't think that she needs to take that extra step of involving other people because she knows she's confident in herself and she thinks that she knows best here. She's being, like you said earlier, I think, you know, she's mean, she's being mean about the fact that she came up with the babysitters club. And because of that, she's the president and she gets to be in charge. And I think that's my biggest issue with this is that Christy is not acting like a version of Christy we've seen before. And I think that that is solely for the purpose of the story here to get this fight started. I think all of the other fights we've seen have been very, they've come from a very organic place in the relationships that we know these girls have with each other and who we know them to be. And here it seems like they were like, we need the girls to start fighting about the babysitter's club. Let's make it Christy's fault this time. And she's going to go off the deep end. And I just, it makes me sort of sad for Christy. Again, Christy is not a real person, but the w- the right. way that she's being portrayed here, it just makes me feel bad because this is not this is not the Christy that we know and love. As frustrated as we can be at times, this is a mean, bad version of Christy that I don't like. So actually, that makes me feel a lot better because at first I was a little worried that a I was being overly sensitive about it, and I'm like maybe she's just like this, and I <laughs> am like you know, unaware. So it does make me feel a little bit better to know that I, that it wasn't just me mm-hmm. and my, um, how personally I take Christy, you know, the same yeah. way that you and Marianne, you get it. Yeah. So that makes me feel better to know that you also had that same out of character. And there were a couple of things that as you were talking about that, that made me think of, because they forced Christy out of character, it also seemed to force Jesse out of character because of the way that Jesse has to be throwing shade at Christy from mm-hmm. the very beginning. So, like, I pulled out from this is chapter two. We haven't even gotten into the club yet. Like, we we're at the first club meeting, and we're still technically like in the introductions. And Jesse's telling ev- where everybody's sitting in the club room. So she says, "And Don, Marianne, and Claudia always sit on Claudia's bed. Guess where Christy sits? In a director's chair, wearing a visor, as if she's the queen or something." And I'm like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Where did that come from? That is so unnecessary. No one has ever commented about her sitting in the director's chair before other than like sort of fondly. Um, But this whole she thinks she's so much better than us thing really seemed to come from out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. 
And I couldn't help but feel a little bit defensive in Christy for Christy, especially because, like, let's think about this for two seconds. Who else is going to run this club? Who else is going to keep things on track? Marianne would never stand up to anybody. Um, Dawn could probably do it, but I don't think she has any interest in it. Mm-hmm. Claudia would be an absolute disaster. Like, you want the club to exist. You need someone who wants to... Um, lead and who wants to manage things and that's why I take such issue with the word bossy and I, I think this was a big issue I had with this one is a lot of times I feel like these books are sort of pushing back against that categorization of girls as bossy and it only uses that word because that's the word that was like used at the time there had been no real conversation mm-hmm. about how gendered that is but this is the first time where there was no sort of interrogation about bossy versus leadership skills. There was no sort of like, well, she's doing these things because otherwise they don't happen and otherwise they don't work. And like, I get maybe that's that's a grown-up perspective, that, but that would have been something to, you know, one of those maturity lessons mm-hmm. that sometimes you need somebody who is a little bit forceful and who is a little bit um, willing to step in and take control and take over. And um, there was absolutely no nuance to that at all. It was just Christy's a monster and makes everyone cry and pout all the way through. Like it just, and I think that that's largely because it was stuck as a B plot. I I just really keep coming, circling back to, there is a lot of there there as we're talking about it. There'd be a a lot of really interesting ways to have this fight, um, to have this conflict. And it, it's just a shame that it sort of got shoved here. And that's, I don't know. Uh, maybe because the A plot was so slight, they wanted to give the book some heft by putting it here. But instead, all it just made it feel was unbalanced. I could go on about it forever, but I think it's just going to be me bitching about the same thing over and over yeah. again. Well, I guess since we've covered the less fun part of this, let's talk about Jessie and all of these animals that she's babysitting. Because um, I feel like that's going to at least be a much more entertaining conversation. <laughs> For sure. So I love that you called it out in your summary because that was the first thing I noticed too. I was like, oh, this book, everybody's super into pets and we're going to hear all about the mancusis and everybody's going to come over to their house and interact with them and then we'll never see or hear from them again. Exactly. And um, it's it's interesting how they how that happens because they do actually a fantastic job of world building. Like we're, we're seeing a lot of the same kids over and over again. We know the families. When Christy's job, we got to see... Um, not Christy's job. It was who is it that was doing the uh, Mariah and why can't I think of their last name? The Perkinses. It was Marianne babysitting for them. The Perkinses. Yeah, yes. it was Mar- it was Marianne or Mallory. If you want to just replace names this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's clear how how uh, memorable it was since I can't even remember who was doing what. But like we know the Perkinses. You know we know Chewy. They talked about running into Chewy on the street. We know uh oh because we know Chewy's a wild mm-hmm. child. You know whatever. So. They're perfectly capable of that. The Jackie Radowski plot in this one, I guess it was another whiff. I think this would have been, that would have been a great plot for Christy. That could have been a whole book was about Mm -hmm. her realizing how those tendencies could impact the kids and have the, so whatever, lamenting, we don't need to beat that particular dead horse. Um, There's plenty of live animals to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But my overarching thought about these people were, okay, we took this like two steps too far. Like it's not it's not believable now that they would be acceptable in this very upper middle class, mm-hmm. wealthy suburb in Connecticut. I, can you imagine a wealthy suburban homeowners association being comfortable with that many animals in somebody's home? I, no. I just, 
There are three dogs and five cats, four rabbits, two guinea pigs. Like that, that's only acceptable on like a farm or like a big like estate. Like these people are living in, like you said, upper middle class, but they're just like houses. It's not like they have these like sprawling acres of land to like have all these animals on. I, that's so many animals. Nor does it seem like they're ever outside. Right. Like, they seem to all be kept in the house, which I, I'm just thinking of like animal fights or like how are those dogs not eating those gerbils as they right. run? Like that just is a recipe for disaster. Um, it, it, like the whole thing. And and what kind of person allows a 13-year-old to care for all those pets for a week? No, an like, 11-year-old. That just An 11-year-old. Oh, you're right. You're right. For two weekends and the week in between. Not just like... Because, like, when I was a kid, our neighbor had one dog. And, like, when they would have to work late, like, my brother or I would go over after school and walk the dog once and, like, put the food in the bowl. And they'd give us, like, 20 bucks or something. Like, Jessie is doing – it's, like, a full-time job, basically, including both weekends. She goes over, like, multiple times a day. She walks the dog. She feeds all the animals. She plays with all the animals. Like – how does she have time for school? I mean, thank God she doesn't have ballet or the Braddocks. Although one thing that kind of annoys me is like she was talking about how with her like week off from baby or from ballet and her regular babysitting job for the Braddocks that she could maybe do some like extra practicing of her own or like just have some free time. And like she ends up with even less free time because she does this pet sitting job because she's dealing with like a fucking zoo in this house. <laughs> Right? I, that's what I, I, I crossed out pet sitter and wrote zookeeper. Um, For sure. In my notes. Like, this, it was just a madhouse. And you're exactly right. Uh, well, that also made me sad when she noted that what she would do with all my spare time, maybe practice some more. <laughs> yeah. I think this book is really sort of pointing out how underdeveloped Jessie is at this mm-hmm. point. I feel like we got a really, really clear view of who Mallory is last book. Yeah. Um, we got to know her. We fell in love with her even more. Um, you know, we're doing our, paying our Mallory penance. Maybe that's why <laughs> you keep calling Marianne Mallory. That's true. Um, but... This, even in this, it's not like we really got a lot of development about who Jesse is and what matters to Jesse, other than everybody's into pets so this week, so I'm going to also be really wild about animals. Well, to be fair, she does say that she and Becca, at the beginning, before we actually get the pet sitting plot line, she and Becca are both very into pets. Becca is pretending to be all different animals because she's very imaginative and wishes that they had a pet. So... I mean, obviously, Jesse and Becca want a pet because that's the thing that everybody wants this book. So we are introduced to it ahead of time, but it's with the understanding that it's going to serve the plot. But yeah, I mean, yeah. We, there's, there's, we're still not really getting much of who Jesse is, which is very disappointing because, especially coming straight off of the last Mallory book, where we got a lot of a lot of who she is and got to know her better, and Jesse's still for all intents and purposes, is the black girl that does ballet, you know, like, which is, and who's Mallory's best friend, like, which is so disappointing because obviously all these other characters have so much depth and well-roundedness and Jessie still, they're not giving her anything, which means that we're not getting anything for her. And it's really disappointing because I'm sure that they would be able to do an amazing job with Jessie as a character, but they just have not put that effort in yet. And by they, I guess I mean Anna Martin, which I'm sorry, Anne, but yeah. you, sh- you 
you should have done better. I expect more from you. Well, and I can't help but wonder how much of that is just they they knew they wanted to introduce a black character, but they didn't really have too much of an idea beyond that mm-hmm. yet. And we're just I I know that Jesse, well. I feel like I remember Jesse being more, more having more there there, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's really standing out right now that this new black character is the one that is getting the least amount of characterization. And I don't know that maybe I'm reading way too much into things, but yeah. it just it, you can't help but notice that. So uh, I I'm going to be very curious as we go forward with the Jesse books if we do ever get more to it because I and I'm sure that we do now that I'm saying that because we did. With um, her introduction was, mm-hmm. was great. We got some real depth. We got to see her interact um, with the Braddocks and really, you know, show her empathy and how she can use that feeling difficult or di- not difficult, but feeling different and um, feeling excluded and and use that to connect with him. So that's we know it's there. I guess it's maybe just this book. Maybe this was just like there was a deadline happening and she was like, mm, lots <laughs> right. of pets, give the girls a fight. She had way too much fun on St. Patrick's Day and was like, oh shit, get this thing to press. <laughs> I'm a little burnout. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not fair. We are shitting on it so hard. It's really, it's not that bad. Like it's not offensive yeah, in any way. It's fine. It's just, it, and like, the, like you said, the election stuff is definitely, we are colored by the time that we are living in. <laughs> When it comes to that piece of it, and I, like you said, I think that we would have t- given that piece of the story. We obviously still would have had problems with it because there's more to it than just like the negativity and the election and the real world and everything coming to, into this like coalescing, whatever. But yeah, the book it's fine. Like it, it was it was fine. It, it is what it is, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's definitely not one that I would be like here check this out to learn more about this character right it would be like eh, read it if you're if you want to if you're a completist like me and you have to read every single one of them go for it you're not gonna like hate yourself for doing so but i don't know it's just not i don't i don't even know i because it's it's i don't want to be too harsh because it's not like i said it's not terrible it's just it, meh there we go meh is <laughs> my overall verdict yeah it's likely not one i'm gonna revisit you know, like, because I mean, yeah. like I've said when we started this and repeatedly throughout our recording, like, there are definitely some of these books that I have read a million times. <laughs> and I've mentioned them all, and I don't need to bring them all up again now. But, like, there are definitely books in this series. Christine that, and Mr. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously. But, like, some of the super specials, like, there's just a few that I, like, I just, for whatever reason, just, like, connected with and, like, really liked them. And, Partially because they were the only ones still at my parents' house. But, like, I, this book is just not one that resonated with me. And I, I I guess going back to our predictions from last week, I definitely did not read this book. I had no recollections of any of it. Although I did, in my notes, predict, one, that uh, Snicklefritz the hamster was pregnant, not just fat. And that oh, yeah. all of the babysitters would end up with their exact same officer positions after this election went down. Because it was just very, like, of course that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so. You know what? That's funny. I hadn't even thought about that. But that's, I think, I might have contributed to my meh on this one is that those beats were so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, from the very second Mallory, or nah, now I'm doing it. From the very <laughs> second Jesse was like, 
the one hamster is all alone. It's super fat. It's in the corner. It's not moving. I'm like, oh, it's pregnant. Like, duh. And then the minute they started talking about elections, I was like, well, we know that they don't change positions. Also, as as nuanced as these girls are, they also are still stock characters from children's novels. It's not like any one of them would make sense in another one of those roles. So we know where this is going to end up. It's just how we get there. And that can be fine if the how we get there is interesting. And that's just sort of where this one didn't pull through. Yeah. So that's enough negativity for for me for this week because we are living in a lot of negativity. So let's focus on some of the more fun stuff. Um, first of all, Snickle Fritz. Um, that made me so happy that his name was Snickle Fritz. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what I was next going to ask you. Out of so, and I I wrote them all down. What all these animals' names are, I want. And now you can't pick Snickle Fritz because I know that's your favorite. So, which animal is your favorite? And I will run through all of the names really quickly, so you don't have to okay. pull them up, and so everyone listening can play along at home. Okay, so there's a poodle named Pooh Bear. There's a Great Dane named Cheryl. There's a Golden Retriever named Jacques. There is a white kitten named Powder, an orange tiger cat named Crosby, a Siamese cat named Ling Ling, which, yikes. Yep. (laughs) Sort of side note, yikes. Um, Apache gray cat named Tom, Powder's mother cat, uh, undescribed, named Rosie, one of the birds who asks where's the beef and uses a lot of uh, advertising slogans in his speeching speeching <laughs> he uses a lot of uh advertising slogans and jingles and whatnot in his vocabulary um his name is frank um there are guinea pigs named lucy and ricky um barney the snake and four rabbits named fluffernut cindy toto and robert <laughs> like where are these names from oh man so first of all i have to say my like gut instinct would be Frank the bird because I dig a animal with a human name that is just like speaking an 80s advertising slang. However, I hate birds more than anything in this world and they <laughs> right. are the devil. So, um, so not, not the bird. Frank. <laughs> not the bird. Um, I, so I think I, I kept going back to Cheryl, the Great Dane, um, because again, human name, animal, especially a big floppy animal. I kind of dig that a lot. Um, but so it wasn't one of the, uh, Mancusi's pets, but when Jesse adopts one of Snickle Fritz's litter or pups, I guess that was what they said, the mm-hmm. correct term, she named it Misty. And, um, I, so I did definitely read this book. Um, <laughs> and in fact, in my, in my memory, you remember I said one of the kids was pretending to be an animal and that's, it, it happened at the very beginning. That's and I was true. Like, okay. Um, it didn't come back to me as much as they normally do, um, you know, when there's normally something that sort of clicks and unlocks, until we got to this very end when she named that hamster Misty. Because just the other day, I was having a conversation about pets, and I, I said, you know, that was my first pet. And I even was thinking to myself, wow, I've never interrogated that. Why did I name it Misty? That is so <laughs> not like me. Um, I, I, like I said, I prefer human names and I've, I've never been like a cutesy type of person like that. And then I was reading this and I went, oh, that is why, because I was probably at that exact age when Mm -hmm. I was reading this book, begged for a hamster and then named it Misty like Jesse did. So that was, um, 
that was funny. I, I ironically enough had a closer connection to this book that annoyed me so much <laughs> <laughs> than I did with a number of the others. Yeah. So technically I have to cheat and say my favorite pet of the bunch was Misty. Um, but Snickle Fritz was the best name largely because of our shared adoration for um, Pineapple Express. Definitely. But, um, so that just made me giggle, especially in a children's book. Uh, what about you? Who was who were you feeling connected with? Um, pet wise, Cheryl the Great Dane was definitely my favorite. Like, yeah, just love yeah. a big a big goofy dog with a funny name. Again, you know, Cheryl's like yep. somebody who works in like HR at your company, and but she's the dog. <laughs> you know, exactly. like I just yeah, I love I love I also love as much as my I mean I guess my dog is sort of human named human nicknamed but um yeah i love dogs with with human names especially ones that are not usually dog names <laughs> did you ever have um did you ever do the like hamster gerbil thing i feel like most kids did that around this age no so we only ever had fish until we got um our golden retriever german shepherd mix adopted rescue dog lucky when i was in seventh grade yeah. Yeah, it was all fish until we had a dog. <laughs> we sort of didn't do that middle <laughs> step that most people do to like ease yourself into, you know, a, a living thing to take care of because fish are pretty self-sufficient. Hamsters and gerbils are a little bit they need more, but they're still pretty self-sufficient whereas like a dog obviously you can't really leave them to their own devices. So, yeah, we we jump straight from fish to dog and a big dog at that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I, I think I said hamster, but I, I don't truly remember if it was a hamster or a gerbil. Mm. And if I'm being completely honest, I still couldn't tell you the difference between the two of those if you ask me right now. Nope. Um, small small and rodenty, not a rat. Um, she, poor Misty didn't last very long. And I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have a strong <laughs> suspicion that was largely, um, I was going to say user error. <laughs> <laughs> It, I have a strong suspicion it was largely my fault, but I don't have any like specific recollection of. I definitely didn't don't remember like mistreating her, mm-hmm. um, but I do remember being not as excited about her when I got her home and I realized, oh, this is basically a rat, and I don't really <laughs> like that very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I um, yeah, was not. It, it lasted just a couple of months. Poor Misty. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Misty. Hopefully you're happier wherever you are now. <laughs> Hamster heaven. <laughs> Hamster heaven. She's going to be, it's going to be my judge when I get to the pearly gates. It's going to be St. Peter and then Misty's going to be there and be like, mm. <laughs> She's waiting to judge you. Yeah. So I have a sort of random side note question for you. So the Braddocks are on vacation. Okay. During the school year when, you know, school is still in session. Jesse makes that very clear. Um, did you ever go on, like, did your parents ever pull you out of school? Like, instead of, instead of school, you got to, like, go on vacation. That is so funny that you say that because I had an immediate reaction when I read that at the beginning. And I went, <laughs> oh, what are these parents up to? Because hell no. Um, so my mom is an educator. She um, was a college professor for many years. Now she's the head of student technology for mm-hmm. a university. So, yeah, school was, like the thing for us 
Um, and I was very school oriented as well. Um, like on my own, just naturally really liked school. I was just a big nerd. So the only time we ever left school for any type of vacation was like a very special, <laughs> this is so funny and so very me, you're going to laugh. Um, it was a very special occasion when we went to Toronto to see Colm Wilkinson play Jean Valjean in Les Mis in his only North American experience. And Oh, of course, that's what you got pulled out of school for. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, and then we like took a side trip to Niagara Falls so my mom could say that it was educational in some way and feel better about the fact that we were missing school. So that was like the only time that we ever... <laughs> miss school for vacation that was that was a huge no-no what about you were you guys jet setting during the school year the only time that we did was I was in second grade and like family friends were going I don't like I honestly I mean I was only eight so I or even seven because it was before my birthday I don't know how this plan this trip actually got planned but my parents decided that we were going to go with our family friends to Spain for like a week, two weeks, I don't know. I it was with our fr- our friends and they like sort of planned everything and they were like you guys come too and like we rented a house and stuff so it was like very sort of like everyone can stay in the same place and I think it was sort of like oh let's let's all save money if we all go. Um but I the only thing I remember is that my second grade teacher was previously a 7th so two to she used to teach 7th grade 7. Um she treated us in second grade when we're seven or eight years old like we were in seventh grade and was very strict and very difficult. And mm. she was not pleased that I was being taken out of school, which, like, I understand. And my parents, this is not – obviously, this is the only time in my entire school career that this ever happened. My parents were not, like, willy-nilly, like, hey, let's just plan a vacation for whatever. Who cares? So they – they were like, what do we need to do? What can Kate do to like stay on top of everything? Like, so I had to do all of the normal schoolwork that everyone was doing, which is fine because I would have probably been like, how do I get my work done? Give me all my homework um, regardless. But then she also like made me do all of this extra work and like do a whole presentation on Spain when I came back and like oh over God. and above. You yeah, it was, I, right. I was seven years old. <laughs> like, what is happening? So that is my – I mean, obviously, I, rem- I have very distinct memories of certain things we did in Spain. But my overarching memory of this was, like, feeling so – because I am a Marianne – the entire time I had this presentation I had to do hanging over my head. And oh, I think my mom still has my, like, poster board somewhere. Like, I actually enjoyed the poster board that I made. It had a lot of cool stuff on it. But, like, yeah, I had this, like – cloud hanging over my head over this amazing vacation that we took with like the first time we ever went basically anywhere I think our one big vacation before that had been Disney World like the year before and and then we didn't take like big vacations forever like this was like the big defining vacation of my life (laughs) until probably like later in high school but yeah I, I there's sort of like a pallor cast over it because of this like negative memory that I had of having to give this presentation and do all this work and like feeling bad that I was out of school even though I was doing more work than everyone back at school and also it was second grade (laughs) like yes school is important but like it's not like I'm missing like my senior year when I have like exams and AP tests and stuff it's like 
it's second grade. I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. <laughs> right? Like, that's the thing. I I think it would be fine up right. to, like, third or even fourth grade. That's not a huge deal. Once you start getting into middle school and junior high, I can For see sure. teachers being a little bit more strict with it. But, like, oh, no, you missed the two edition tables. <laughs> right. <laughs> you'll you'll recover. Rude. What a terrible teacher. That's so disappointing because especially if you just – if you turned it into, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this is a great learning opportunity for you, it would exactly. make you excited to share those things. That's just, I, I teachers are so disrespected and so underpaid and I just, it's so frustrating. And then every once in a while you get a teacher that hits all of the negative stereotypes and it, it, that's so frustrating for me because then I feel like mm-hmm. people point to that and be like, well, see, kids, teachers don't really care about kids. And I'm like, right. There are so many that do, and it's don't give the good ones a bad name. Mean second grade teacher. Well, and that's what I was gonna say. Like to be fair to this teacher, like I obviously have very different memories because I was seven or eight years old when I had her. But like I do know that she used to teach seventh grade. So it's like, was this like a demotion of some kind? Like was she angry about being a second grade teacher now? Like not just that she doesn't know how to relate to second graders, but like was there or was there other things going on in her life like I guess I I can't be like totally angry about the way that she was a teacher but like but yeah it's I I only have my perspective on this and she was not my favorite teacher not even close to my favorite teacher it was it was a rough year (laughs) I do remember that just sort of generally it was just not great but yeah I mean she might have had things going on but that's disappointing I don't know it is what it is. <laughs> you're a far kinder, more empathetic person than I am. I'm like, fuck that bad teacher. And you're like, she could have had serious life things happening. <laughs> that's, see, that's the, the true Marianne versus Christy between us. <laughs> 100%. That's, that, is, that is it right there in a nutshell. Oh, my God. All right. So if we, we're both a dash of Claudia. So let's talk about fashion. Um, there wasn't a ton in this one. Was there anything that stood out for you, Miss fashionista, that we should be aware of? I mean, I think the two Claudia outfits are probably the only distinctive ones because there really were only like four outfits. There was one Christie, which was the same basic one we always get, and a Jessie, which was also just a very basic like sweatshirt and jeans. But Claudia, of course, comes through. So here are the two Claudia outfits. Okay, so the first one is Claudia, obviously. Claudia also loves fashion, and you should see her clothes. They are amazing, always wild. Like, she'll wear a mini skirt, black tights, push-down socks, high-top sneakers, a shirt she's painted or decorated herself, and big earrings she's made. Her hair might be pulled into a ponytail and held in place with not one but six or seven puffy ponytail holders, a row of them cascading down her hair. Like, very quintessential Claudia. And it's not even really an outfit that she wore. It's just, like, Jessie imagining what she might wear be and it's very clearly a Claudia outfit and maybe isn't quite as far as we've seen Claudia push herself but it's Jesse describing a potential Claudia outfit so I just sort of love that it was like Jesse's idea of like a quintessential Claudia outfit to like give us a sense of who Claudia is you know what's really fascinating about that is I, I hadn't really like consciously thought about it but as as you mentioned you're right the the big descriptions we get are of Claudia in this and I do love that Jesse has a little bit of hero worship for mm-hmm. Claudia like she states over and over again that she wishes she could be as cool as Claudia and like the outfit of hers that she wear that she describes later it's in reference to not looking as cool as Claudia um and I and I get that like that's 
at 11, you absolutely would have like a girl crush on the cool older girl mm-hmm. who puts together really cool outfits and you can't figure it out. What was the other one? Yeah. Well, because the other outfit is the the one that Jessie then describes herself in relation to. So this is, I guess, maybe I will just do the Jessie outfit too, just so we can see the dichotomy since you mentioned that. Okay, so here's Claudia. Claudia was wearing another of her great outfits. This one consisted of an oversized short sleeve cotton shirt with gigantic leaves printed all over it, green leggings, the same green as the leaves on her shirt, bright yellow pushdown socks, her purple high tops, and her hair in a headband with gigantic purple bow attached to one side. So then Jessie, after describing Claudia this way, says this about herself. I was also wearing an oversized shirt, a white sweatshirt with ballet shoes on the front. But with it, I was just wearing jeans and regular socks and regular sneakers. And honestly, I would have to do something about my hair soon. It looks okay when it's pulled back, I guess, but I want it to look special. So yeah, it's just, it's fun to see, maybe not fun, because Jessie clearly wishes she could emulate Claudia, but you know, she's comparing and contrasting like Claudia is this sort of aspirational figure. And she's like, I'm, I'm wearing an oversized shirt too but I'm not cool at all. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I thought that was so, so sweet. So um, that is, to be fair, one uh, one aspect of fleshing out Jesse true, that yeah. um, I did really, really appreciate. So I love that. Um, and I would totally wear the a shirt with a bunch of leaves on it and then, mm-hmm. you know, cool matching accessories. And I feel like I've seen plenty of Instagram girls with oh, yeah. cascading scrunchies down their hair. So, it's back. you know, <laughs> we are fully back into into the 90s though so for sure totally appreciate that do you have any other random thoughts I think one thing I really wanted to point out since we are talking a little bit about Jessie and getting more on her I really liked the interaction that she had with her mom Mm -hmm. um right before the election she's sort of we see Jessie's inner monologue obviously she's sort of hemming and hawing she doesn't know what to do she doesn't want she doesn't know if she should vote for Christy to stay as president because she does think that Christy would be great at that, and she doesn't want Christy to be mad at her. But she thinks if she votes for Christy to stay president, then the other girls will be mad at her because they want to mix everything up, and they think that maybe one of them could do better. And so she goes to her mom, and basically she wants her mom to tell her what to do. And her mom is basically like, and I copied and pasted, so she's like, I can't give you the answers. You have to make up your own mind. I will give you one piece of advice, though. Vote for the person you honestly think is best suited for each office. Don't worry about anything else. Like, I really liked that interaction. It was obviously very brief with her mom, but it's nice to sort of get to see a little bit more behind the scenes with Jesse's family. Because I think, again, sort of seeing that Claudia worship, we also get to see her and her family interact a little bit more in this one. And that helps to color who she is um, as a character, which I liked. That's a great point. And that really was a nice scene and it, because it was handled – subtly the way that they really do handle some of those you know like Mm -hmm. Danny Tanner moments really really nicely because it didn't feel like here let me sit you down and tell you what to do it was I'm going to empower you to do what you what I believe that you're going to do the right thing on Mm -hmm. your own which was really nice Uh, sort of along those same lines um, one of the things that struck me in a book that didn't have a ton of the like lessons that we sometimes normally get um, she's talking about Jesse's talking about heading to um the club meeting, uh, I can't remember if it's like right bef- the, the Friday before the vote or the actual vote one. I'm not sure. But she and Mallory are talking about they on the phone. They want to go. Mm-hmm. She wants to go with Mallory. She doesn't want to be alone because she's feeling nervous and, and um, unsure about the situation. And 
Now this, she says, now this is what I love about Mallory. I suppose it's why we're best friends. We know each other inside out and we're always honest with each other. Mal knew I was scared and she admitted she was scared. She could easily just have said, are you scared? But she said, are you scared too? Mm-hmm. Which is very important. Yep. And I loved that. I thought that was such a beautiful, subtle little message in there to to talk about how real friendship is is built on on empathy, but it's also built on vulnerability. It's about having the strength mm-hmm. to say, I'm scared too. And that gives the other person the strength to admit their their own insecurities. And I mm-hmm. it reminded me of us a little bit, the way that um, you've always been there to sort of push me on things, but always in a way where it never felt like I'm mm-hmm. doing something because you know what's best. It's about like yep. we're in this together. And I I loved that little piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really nice moment between our newest best friends on the <laughs> in the Babysitter's Club for sure. Um, I did note that they that she once again um, brings up Stacy, which is interesting since Mallory talked about her too, and I, I realized we didn't mention it on the last podcast. But I did note for characters that mm-hmm. basically have never met Stacy, um, they bring her up every time, and I, I think that that is um, just sort of a really clear indicator that that character is not gone. Like they would have stopped talking right. about her if that character had written out. Um, I, I think that it. it is more obvious looking back now as an adult, like knowing how story is built and how, how things are structured like that, that they're building up to a return for her, for her. So I thought that was a, mm-hmm. a fun little Easter egg. Um, I guess one other thing that we sort of called out, we have called out, but called out again last episode. She doesn't describe Claudia as exotic, but she does talk about her dark almond-shaped eyes and clear complexion and mm-hmm. gorgeous long jet black hair yep. and blah, blah, blah. Like... That really is sort of their go-to for Claudia, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> nope. Somehow I doubt it will. So maybe we should just have that like be a re- almond eyes watch. <laughs> Check. Like, <laughs> um, just we don't have to have a whole conversation about it, but just no. Nope. Yep. Still racist. Yep. Yep. Um. Well, from racist to mind-boggling, I just need to point out in my um, capacity as timeline. Czar? No, I don't like that. <laughs> timeline. I don't like guru either. I'm watching The Vow, so <laughs> no thank you. Keeper of the timeline. There we go. Thank you. Far, far <laughs> less offensive. Um, as keeper of the timeline, I do want to point out, so they've been doing a really good job of keeping things very vague in terms of like what's happening mm-hmm. in the world, what's happening. Like they don't talk about seasons or anything like that. It's just sort of a universal time but there is a mention of lucy mm-hmm. now jamie has an eight-month-old sister lucy so i went back to double check lucy was born during um the truth about stacy so book three so it has been eight months only <sighs> since <Kay>. book three <laughs> um yeah so that that i was like ooh, that makes <laughs> no. no sense like i i really i started to like pull out the timeline and like try to fill in um, like when holidays were that we knew. Th- and I was like, oh boy, this is just, I- I'm going down a rabbit right. hole that's going to end nowhere good. So just fully know that the timeline, uh, Jeremy bury me of it is not, not going anywhere. Yep. Continues to baffle us. Um, any other thoughts, questions, comments, concerns on this book? Nope, I'm just ready to start talking about the next book. Let's ditch these stupid pets and talk about Dawn on the Coast. Yeah, so Dawn on the Coast. Um, I don't remember this one, so I'm guessing she goes to California to visit Jeff and her dad. And I'm 
wondering if maybe she starts to realize or think about maybe wanting to move back to you because I do have a vague recollection that that happens at some point in the series I don't know how soon it might happen in the books but um that's my guess is she goes to California and thinks maybe I want to move back here too but oh and I guess in my notes I said I I don't I have no idea when it happens in the timeline I don't think it's too soon since she's in Stony Brook for Christie's mystery admirer but I'm guessing it sets the groundwork for that eventuality of her going back to California (laughs) so so it's probably at least 13 or at least what 15 books away because that's 37 (laughs) I love that we can't get through an episode without that coming up at least twice but I so I have this one is more muddled for me because I do remember a lot of the Dawn California stuff Mm -hmm. better than I thought I did Um, I was really into the uh, California Diaries when like each of her friends had their own books and they did the little like spinoffs mm-hmm. for the, the California people, like Sunny. And I was really into those for a little while. So I don't know how much of what I'm remembering about California is from that and how much is from this book. But I think you're right. I think this is where they set the groundwork. Um, obviously, it deals with the fallout of the Jeff stuff. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, a big issue with this is Jeff is so happy there yeah and she's sort of struggling with that and then she gets in you know it, it's one of those the grass is always greener things um but I don't remember a lot of the specifics I, I really hope I think we do meet Sunny in this one but I'm not sure but she's one of my favorite side characters so I'm I'm excited I hope it's mainly a hope that that she pops up in this next one nice well I guess we will find out in two weeks when we reconvene for Dawn on the Coast. Okay, so any other Final Club business? Well, let's just remind everybody, you can contact us. We love to hear from you. Um, you can follow us and reach out on Instagram and Twitter, at Generation BSC. If you have longer, more in-depth thoughts, we love to get emails from you. Um, that's generationbsc at gmail.com. And if it's not too much trouble, if you could head over to Apple and rate and review, that would be really awesome. That helps us build our visibility and bring more people into Generation BSC. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.